So, a Jewish rabbi, a Muslim imam, and a Christian preacher walk into a podcast. It sounds like a joke, but it's really a friendship. I am Imam Omar Shahi of Masjid Asalam. I am Rabbi Jonathan Case of Beshalom Synagogue. And I am Reverend Ellen Fowler Skidmore of Forest Lake Presbyterian Church. All of us gathered today in Columbia, South Carolina, to welcome you to our podcast, Abraham's Table. All three of our faiths believe in one God who alone created all that exists, and we believe that all that God created is very good, that God, indeed, is the very definition of good. And yet all three of us also know that evil and suffering and injustice are real. The world that God has created is always in flux, and life on this earth is fragile and limited and dangerous. In addition to suffering that's the result of natural disasters or our own wrongdoing or the wrongdoing of others, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam all talk of an embodiment of evil that our scriptures call Satan, the devil, or shaitan. How do Judaism, Christianity, and Islam talk about this evil figure, and how does this inform and shape how we live as God's people in God's world? Welcome to Abraham's table. (laughs) I think we should start with the traditional, um, most accepted view of Satan, and I think it would be best off with you starting off. With me? Yep. Because you feel like I have special experience and knowledge in <laughs> Satan and evil? <laughs> no, because I think I'm going to be contrarian. <laughs> okay. Well, I would start with a fairly contrarian. Christians do not believe in Satan. We believe in God. We acknowledge that evil exists. But there is not such a thing as an equal but opposite God who works in the world as if there were an even battle for good and evil. That is not a Christian perspective. So all of the Christian stereotypes of a little guy on your shoulder, sort of an angel on one shoulder and a little guy in a red jumpsuit with a pitchfork on the other, that's all cute, that's all funny, that's all concrete, that's all at about a kindergarten level. But when you read Scripture, when you think deeply about the Christian faith, we would have to say we do not believe in Satan. We acknowledge evil. Evil is absolutely real. And evil is multifaceted and a complex thing. The the other thing I'd say, maybe I'll stop and let you be contrarian about this, but I would say that there's always a temptation to simplify. And the the danger in saying that there is a sort of a Satan is that then evil becomes only out there, something other than anything that affects me. Evil becomes the other, the stranger, the one that I don't know, the bad man. And I I think that there are parts of our culture that that's the temptation, evil somehow out there. There are bad people out there. The other temptation, though, is equally prevalent, and that is that really 
there is no evil. And, and if everybody were just educated and had enough food, that there wouldn't be anything wrong. We'd be able to educate people out of their evil intents. And I think that's absolutely not scriptural either. And it is not a, a position that a Christian can really hold. Evil is is both inside of us and outside of us. One of the interesting uh, comic strips that addresses this that we probably all saw many decades ago was in Pogo. And Pogo in the strip was saying, I've seen evil and he is me. Which jibes very nicely with what you were saying, that we are the creators of evil. Yet, if you look at the book of Job, which is one of the most disturbing books of the entire Bible, you find at the outset of the book of Job where there is a character that is talking to God. He is called Satan, Satan, and he is arguing with God that his faithful servant Job isn't really so faithful. So if you take that story in a very literal vein, there is a Satan in the world, there is a Satan in the world that charges against God. However, even within the context of that story, if you take it quite literally, it's not an embodiment of evil that is equal to God, but rather some force that argues with God. But then again, even with that interpretation, you have to say, really? Does it really take another being to contest God's will? Does Satan know better than God? Or is God willing to acknowledge that this Satan knows better than he? Now, having, having put out those questions there, I want to throw out my contrarian view now against what I just said, that in the... Uh, Talmud, in a segment that is focused on the book of Job, it says the following. It says, That Job never was, and the story of Job is not real and to be taken as real. That the story is a parable. And so even within the context of understanding and unraveling the story of this argument that takes place in heaven between the Satan and God, the ancient ones, those scholars and saints of long ago, said, no, don't take the story literally. The story has a far more powerful meaning if you take it as a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Take it as a metaphor. The, the, in, the, in the Quran, we have the concept of the jinn that God created, jinn and humans, to worship him. The jinn found out later on and studied that the jinn has freedom of choice and the human beings have freedom of choice. So we, we progress in terms of the story and we come to a time when Allah says to the angels that he was making a ruler in the earth, a khalifa, a ruler in the earth. And the angels question God as to what kind of creature are you going to create. We're worshiping you, we're praising you. So who is this creature you're going to create? And God says, I know what you know not. And then the verse, next verse picks up in chapter 2, 31. It says, and he taught Adam the nature of all things. So Adam, Adam becomes that one with the Khalifa properties. Then after God 
taught Adam the names of all things, the nature of all things, he said, he put it before the angels. He said, tell me uh, the names if you know. And the angels said, we know not. You have not taught us this. Then he said, informed them, Adam, of their nature, their names. And Adam informed them. Very quickly, then so God... So can I ask, what is a jinn? Are you getting to that? Yes. Okay. And then God says, because that's another story. <laughs> okay. anyway, God says, then prostrate yourselves to Adam, meaning accept my purpose in Adam as a Khalifa on the earth. The angels all bowed except Iblis. Iblis refused. When we see that refusal there, the angels submitted with Iblis. So Iblis, if you trace Iblis back through scripture, then he is from the jinn, from the nature of the jinns. And he said that he was not going to bow to one whom you have made from clay. He, you created me from fire. So we see a rejection there uh, coming from one who had the freedom to choose. So is Iblis an angel? No, he was among the angels. Among the angels, but of the jinn. Of the jinn. He was among the angels. He was an angel by circumstance, but not by nature. But jinns were created by God. Yeah, yes. And they, in their pure nature, they are obedient. They are servants of God. But as the free will is given, which you'll see with the human being, choice factors are there. Then God says, uh, very quickly, he says to Adam and his wife, he placed them in the garden. And he said, eat of the bountiful, thing, bountiful things, the good things. But do not approach not this tree, or you run into harm and transgression. And then the next verse comes, reading it says, Satan caused them to slip. And the story picks up from what you have in your biblical scripture that he went to the woman and he convinced the woman to eat, he said. And then he tried to interpret for the woman what God had told them. And he said, why? He said, God, God said you should not eat from this or that so that you wouldn't become angels or such beings as will live forever. So he's now interpreting God's commands. Okay, mm-hmm. which means that he's bringing about deceit. He's deceitful. God told him, don't take him for a friend. So he's bringing about deceit and pretending to be their friends. Okay? Mm-hmm. So then this deception caused them to slip in our Quran, Adam and his wife to slip, both of them, not the wife, but Adam and his wife. The Quran says Adam and his wife. Very quickly, when Adam and his wife slipped, then they realized that they had disobeyed God, that Satan had deceived them. Not immediately, this is, this is a period of time. Now. But then they turned to God and said, our Lord, we have wronged our own selves. Did not blame the Satan for that because they had choice factor there and God had informed them. So they came back, Adam and his wife, to the original mind and position that God had created them and they repented. So in Islam, the Quran tells us, God says he created the human being in the most excellent form. He said he created us in the most excellent form, which means that we were created good, we were created right. But we can be uh, deceived, we can make choices that would be inappropriate, that will cause us to fall. But the nature in us for obedience to God will allow us to get up, that nature will. If we turn to God, submit to God, Ask God for forgiveness. In Islam, we, uh, God, he restored Adam 
he restored Adam because when Adam and his wife slipped again, turned to God, God is often returning most merciful. So he forgave Adam and his wife. So in the Quran, is there a garden and they're kicked out of the garden, but they're allowed to come back? There's a garden and the garden is where it starts out. Uh-huh. And then they were put down into the earth. But the garden, remember this now, the garden. So the garden was not on earth. Not in the beginning, in that perception. In that perception. But it could also be talking about the inner garden of obedience, of, of submission. Sort of a metaphor for... Yes. But they were put down, put in, being put in the earth is not a curse. It's not a punishment from the Islamic perspective because God said, I'm going to create a khalifa for the earth. Mm-hmm. But God was testing them and showing them that you're going to need to obey me. You're going to need to be conscious of me. You're going to need to submit to me because this enemy of yours, not enemy of God, that enemy of yours will try to deceive you and pull you off the course. So does evil come through Iblis? Evil comes through external forces, not the internal nature of the human being. So a person is innately good. Innately good because evil and corruption doesn't agree with our soul. That's why we're not comfortable with it. That's why we have to medicate. <laughs> so, medicate. It, so is there, in that story, is there a snake that figures in the Quran? The only time the snake appears in the Quran is in Moses, is in Moses, the story of Moses with the rod. Right. Where he yeah. turned, the rod turns into a serpent, and then he yes. picks it up in it before Pharaoh. Yes. Interesting. And there's another episode with a snake. Later on in the book of Numbers, I think it's in chapter 21, where the Israelites are being attacked by poisonous snakes, and Moses holds up a copper snake as a sign of healing to the people, which, if I'm not mistaken, that's the sign of healing that doctors mm-hmm. now use as a sign of their medical profession. Yes. So it's interesting the contradistinction between the snake as the, as the paradigm of evil mm-hmm. and also the example of healing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because the snake in the story of Moses with his, with his rod is symbolic of a particular psychology. What does that mean? Say more. That the rod that he had inherited came from Pharaoh when he was growing up in Pharaoh's house. He had a rod that he didn't know what he had. So God asked him, what is that? And he told him it was a rod. And what he do? what does he do with it? And he did different things with it. God told him to throw it down, and it became a, uh, a serpent moving like a serpent. But God told him to pick it up because it's not going to harm him. So what he was really in the metaphor there is God was telling him what you have inherited, that you're using what Pharaoh gave you. Throw it away from yourself, look at it, and pick it up, and you can use it more intelligently to liberate your people. So in Islam, you don't take that story literally. No. You take it as a metaphor. As a metaphor, uh, allegory. Now, in the story in Genesis, the serpent, the snake is there, but the serpent, we were having this discussion earlier, in that story is not ever identified as Satan or the devil. It, It only earns that later. And then Omar quoted Revelation to me. I was struggling to come up, is there any place in Scripture, in the Christian Scriptures, where that serpent from the Garden of Eden is called Satan, and there's one connection in the book of Revelation, so Omar gets kudos for quoting the book of Revelation to me because I did not remember that. But yes. Chapter 12, uh, but, verse 9. And 
it, right at, at Revelation. So, I, but I, I find it instructive that from the get-go, there is this in that story of Genesis. There is this ability that God gives us to choose. Yes, that is exploited by the yeah. figure of the serpent who says, did you really hear? What's really truth? Is yeah. that so? What What should you believe? You have some choice in the matter. And so the where we would coincide, where I can co- collaborate, what you just said would be evil comes into the world every time, any time human beings refuse to submit themselves to God, to be obedient to what God's will is. That is where evil enters. Now, the problem with that is that very often human beings have confused their own will with the will of God. So that's why it's so essential to read Scripture. It's not me imposing my will on Omar. It is God's will to which we submit alone. Well, you, you got a good point then before you leave the serpent in Genesis. It says he was more subtle. More crafty. More, crafty, more intelligent. More, yeah. yeah, more deceitful. Yeah. So Adam and his wife being innocent, the serpent being more... <laughs> I guess would be shrewder, would be shrewd at that time, deceptive. He was able to get them playing on their desires, the nature. Right, and evil curiosity. is always sweet in that first bite. It, 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 well, wait wait <laughs> yes. a second, Mr. Contrarian has to, inter- <laughs> okay. has to intervene here for a second. So, what is the message behind God putting two trees in the garden, a tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil? And saying, eat that one, don't eat that one. If God had not intended for the first beings to go near or consume the fruit of the so-called forbidden tree, why create it in the first instance? So I'm going to throw out this ball into the playing field here that maybe it was God's intent that we actually have the choice to choose good and evil by placing that right in their view and say, don't eat that because on the day that you eat of it, you will die, which of course is another lie, right? Because they, they die. didn't die. They not didn't immediately. Die. Not physical death. They, yeah. Well, not they, physical death. They eventually died, but they did not die physical death because it said that they became a living soul when God breathed his breath in them. So that soul when you when you disobey God, you die to His. You die to the purpose and will that God has for you. Mm-hmm. Well, I can be more literal than that. What okay. What if God was actually telling precisely what the truth was? On the day that you will eat it, you will no longer be eternal. I'm just rephrasing it. So eventually, you will die, which was in fact the truth that they would not live forever. Well, that's a good piece because they did turn away from God and they found that they oppressed themselves. They were in the wrong until they turned back to God. But let's go to what you said earlier. That is what we understand that a lot, that God has given the human being choices mm-hmm. or factors to obey me or disobey me. Right. And isn't that what religion is about? Religion is about willingly obeying God, not being forced to obey God. Yeah. Yeah. We we all worship a God. It just depends on which God you pick. Yes. So it that, could be yourself. Yeah, it yes. could be power. It yes. could be money, or it could be the creator of the universe. That test is there, and God has created the world to test us and grow us. 
there's no way for us to grow without that test. Right. And, and I can agree. I think that I, when I read those stories in Genesis, the only part about your your contrarian fireball there <laughs> that that uh, I'm struggling with and trying to put words around is I, I believe that the story, I take it as a descriptor of what is rather than a proscription. Does that make sense? It's a descriptive story. This So Scripture begins that way. In the beginning was God. There's no, this is how God was made. You know, the old middle school, Is there? A, God, can God create a rock so big that God can't pick it up? When was God born? So this is just the way it is. God is, and the serpent is, and human choice is, and these are the consequences of what is. Not prescriptive, but descriptive. So the part about your piece that I'm struggling with is I don't think God set it up as a test knowing that the humans would fail it. That's setting us up to fail. That's the piece I'd push back But that's on. a good piece there because God has created us in the most excellent form, and repentance is there as salvation for us. Right. When we realize that we have disobeyed and made wrong choices, we turn and repent. That's the key going back to what you said. But I'm going back to that story of I heard Imam W.D. Muhammad, our, our leader who has passed. He said that don't think of the garden as something that happened. The garden is where we are now. Yes. <laughs> the choice factors that we have now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, the evil in the world, are we choosing to follow the evils? Are we following the evils? Are we making the right choices? And I think we're going to get to something that we talked about earlier as to what's happening in the world today with the inducements coming from the culture, the pop culture, and from the media, from elements in the media. Do we take responsibility for our own lives and make intelligent choices, or do we just follow the influences coming from the world? There's a lot there. I, I want to go back and <laughs> suggest that maybe the fall of Adam and Eve was not a fall at all, but was exactly what God wanted to happen. And if that is what God wanted to happen, then that idea of choice is the ultimate gift that we did in tandem with God and allows us to be able to do, as you quite rightly said, repentance. Mm -hmm. But it also allows us to do good. Yes. Because if there's no potential for evil, there is also no potential for good. good, Right. You only know light because you know the dark. You only know good because you know the evil. Yeah. The, the, a nickel has two sides always. Yeah. Right. And, and based upon the choice, repentance, submission. Right. So you got a whole, you got a, a conglomerate of things that is tied into that that begins to mature and manifest themselves as we progress in the scripture. Let me just mention one thing. You mentioned the serpent yeah. in Genesis. And we showed you in Revelations where your Bible says the dragon. The, the dragon is a fictitious creature. I don't think a dragon ever lived blue and fire. There is no, I think they gave us a fictitious creature there. But he connects with that serpent. The serpent is a small creature in many senses compared to the dragon. But it's showing you how Satan and his schemes would grow in the world and manifest themselves. When he was deceiving two people, now he's deceiving the whole world. So fire, the dragon blew in fire of his nose. 
It's a different picture. There. Should I read that little piece? I've got it right yes. here. So Revelation chapter 12, this is the Christian New Testament, in the book of Revelation, which is a highly allegorical description of God's faithfulness and, yes. and the suffering in the world. Uh, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back. But they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, I can honestly say I've never read that passage in worship and never preached on it. That is, that's be the only place that I, I know of where it gets named that way. Fascinating. The one thing I would say is, I think, and I'd be interested in your response, the Christian tradition would say God indeed gave us free will, but God does not will evil. God does not create evil. God is good. Yeah. He, t- he didn't tell them they couldn't go near the tree. He told them, don't go near the tree. <laughs> Actually, in the Hebrew scripture, he just says, don't eat of the tree. It's, it's the snake who says, yeah. who basically questions yes. Eve, and she's the one who distorts the word by saying, God said not even to go, not even to touch it, which God never said. Mm-hmm. I do want to point out in the Hebrew that the word, as opposed to the name, mm-hmm. Satan, means tempter. Yes. And so it's, it's, so it's quite right what you said, Ernest Skidmore, about not being some physical being, mm-hmm. the Satan, the Satan, but rather this force that exists yes. inside of us that urges us to do things that are harmful to others, things that are harmful to ourselves. You know, there's, there's this really interesting New Testament passage at the very beginning in Luke's gospel, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, where Scripture says in Luke 4 that the Spirit, and the Spirit meaning the Spirit of God, drove Jesus into the wilderness. As a, The church has understood it as a time of preparation, and where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. So that's that 40 days of preparation for the celebration of Easter for us. And there are three temptations that the devil throws out. So the devil says, if you are the Son of God, command the stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus answers him by quoting Scripture. It is written, one does not live by bread alone. So the first is, you've been fasting for 40 days. If you're hungry, eat. The second temptation is, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, to you I'll give their glory and all this authority. If you will worship me, it will all be yours and Jesus answers with again with Scripture, it is written, worship the Lord your God, serve only Him. And the third temptation, the devil takes him to the top pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem and says, if you will throw yourself down, then if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down because Scripture says that God will protect you. You won't even hit your stone, your foot against a stone. And Jesus answers, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So in Christian traditions, there is this temptation, these archetypal temptations, and the temptation always comes then using Scripture. So evil quoting God's very word to mislead. Right. Well, you don't think Satan is a man. 
Shaitan is a man or a woman. No, Would no be more. Li- be dead by now, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I'd make evil too small. Yeah, they'd be dead by now. So influences. And again, when we look at, now you said something intrinsic. I'm pushing back on intrinsic in the nature of the human being. That's coming from outside. The influences are coming from outside to influence our thinking, influence our decision-making. If we have choices, then we will obey if we are clear in our commitment. In fact, the Bible says, the Quran says, Satan says, I'm going to deceive all your, 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 your servants except those who are sincere and purified. So the sincerity and the purification there plays a great part on the human being. But we can be pulled off course, but we're not going to be satisfied. This is why I believe in working with corrections, uh, most of the persons that I got a chance to talk with to ask about their uh, criminal acts or whatever. Now, now we know that you were a chaplain, With a Muslim correction. chaplain in the Department of Corrections. Right. We might better say that for this podcast. They may not know Yes, that. okay. And uh, working as a chaplain in the Department of Corrections, I often would talk to some of the, you know. Inmates. Well, we use the term inmates. Some sophisticated, say, clients and all that. <laughs> it's inmates. And they would uh, explain to me that they were under some type of drug when they committed their that they are crying. They said that they had followed their first mind, <laughs> they would have stayed at home or would not have gotten involved. So there's something in us originally that reminds us that's a conscience, but it can be overrun, overflooded, it can be inundated with so much, like the culture we live in today. How can anyone really make intelligent choices? Let's go back to the young people when they're looking at TikTok, when they're looking at Instagram, when they're looking at the different mediums that are reaching us, the social media. Where, where, where is clarity in the, in, the, in, the, in the public discourse today? Hmm. Let's search for it. Okay, it's time for Mr. Contrarian to come <laughs> back to return to his seat. And I want to make two observations. One of them is that in the book of Isaiah, he talks about God being the creator of good and evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. so I want to throw that in. And then I want to follow it up with a very beautiful story about a saint who prayed to God with all his heart that God would remove the evil inclination from us. Mm -hmm. And God was so pleased with his servant that he decided to grant the request and he removed the evil inclination from humankind and all that was left was goodness. And in the next 24 hours, the same saint saw that there were no buildings started Mm. and there were no babies being conceived and no businesses being begun either. So the harnessing of this negative side of ourselves, this harnessing of the Satan that exists within us, Mm -hmm. also has very positive side to it as well, that it allows us to become our best self sometimes through competition. Mm -hmm. There would certainly be no sports if we didn't have this negative side to ourselves. Nobody would be watching a football game, that's for sure. And all of, the, all of the things that sometimes produce us the best, make us the best in our field, is that energizing factor of this negative impulse that resides always within us. So part of my argument is that this Satan is not always bad, 
we just have to be able to control it as opposed to it controlling us. I, w- I would mm-hmm. say something similar, but in a slightly from a slightly different take. I would say that every virtue, every good that God has given, when human beings overreach it, stretch it too far, push it too far, becomes an evil. So to be to be thrifty is a virtue. Push too far, it becomes stinginess. Right. To be holy is a virtue. To push it too far becomes self-righteousness. To judge between good and evil is a virtue. To push it too far becomes judgmentalism. So it's a, it is more of a continuum. Let me add to that. The Quran says that God could have stopped Iblis or Shaitan, Satan, at the time. That he put him out because he was disobedient. But then he asked, he said, Oh my Lord, give me respite. Delay my punishment until the day they are raised up. And when God said, okay, you have respite, then he said, I'm going to to show you. I'm going to come at them from different angles. I'm going to try to, no, I'm going to uh, make most of them ungrateful for your mercies. And God said, go. This is a way that leads straight to me. So you got something there when you are talking Mm -hmm. about what has been allowed. But if God gave us free will, and also a choice factor, would he not be right in giving us a situation where we had to make choices? And which which same, is a great gift. Yeah, which is a great gift. And also a nature that will respond to that. When we do wrong, we can't rest, we can't sleep, unless something has inundated us so much until we just lose that human goodness. Well, can I shift it just a bit? And We've talked a lot about Satan, the devil, and personal temptation, choice, redemption. But I haven't, we haven't yet said anything about, and I would say the Christian tradition is really clear that evil exists in that interpersonal sphere, but that evil also exists in built into the building, built into the structures, that it, evil can become, it's not an equal but opposite force, but it is structural. It, it takes on a meaning, and, and I guess what I think about is Jim Crow laws. I think about the Holocaust, that that evil becomes a part. There was that uh, C.S. Lewis talked about in one of the introductions to his book, Screwtape Letters. He he writes the greatest evils now not done in sordid dens of crime that Dickens loved to paint. It's not even done in concentration camps and labor camps. In those we see the greatest evil's final result. But evil is conceived and ordered and moved and seconded and carried and minuted in clean, carpeted, warmed, well-lit offices by quiet men with white collars and cut fingernails and smooth-shaven cheeks who do not need to raise their voice. That there's this sense in which evil becomes a part of the script, the corporate script, larger than any one person. I think... Elie Wiesel really made famous the idea of indifference to human suffering is license for evil to traffic as much as it wants. When good people don't stand up Mm -hmm. and speak against evil because they're indifferent to it, what difference is it going to make if I say anything? Nobody's going to listen to me. Nobody's going to read my letter. Nobody's going to hear what I have to say to wit all of the murders that we have read about, seen with our own eyes, the tragedies that have taken place, the utter evil of the shootings that have 
so positive themselves in our mind's eye that we just can't get over it. What do we do with this? Well, we'll just wait another day. We won't do anything about it. When good people have the responsibility to make a fuss, to not be indifferent, to not stand by, but to stand up and to say, in a just society, this should not happen. And maybe indifference is another word for Satan. Yes. Hmm. Are we realizing that we're not growing more comfortable with this evil that is perpetrated? We don't, we don't feel safer. We don't feel better. Something in, in, in us is telling us we need to fight back. We need to do something besides just stand by and look. But when you have, like the secular world, someone said the secular world, Satan has taken over the secular world. And commercialism and its pushing of its goods and pushing of its wares and pushing for, for us to buy and purchase, they are reaching us through social media is making decisions for us. Algorithm, algorithms are making decisions for us. Well, we think we're making decisions for ourselves, but we're not comfortable. That's, that's the key that I'm happy with, that we're not comfortable. We don't feel safe. But, but I got to push back on that. So if Satan took over the culture, it was, it was the church and religion that gave him the keys. You said that. Yes. <laughs> I will I never. Say, I didn't say that. Religion. Say, I just want to say that as Muslim, that uh, I'm agreeing with you that religion has also become a tool that Satan is using. Evil can wrap itself yeah. in religion very, very quickly. Yeah. All you have to do is, again, mention the Crusades. I remember vividly on 9 11, hearing in the aftermath of that, hearing a Roman Catholic priest say, as he he sat in front of the TV and watching the towers fall, he said, I looked at that terrible, terrible thing, and I recognized that the only thing in the world that could provoke that level of hatred and that level of murder is religion. Mm -hmm. So in every one of our traditions, maybe... Yeah, which religion had nothing to do with that. Islam had nothing to do with that. But the perception... Right. The, the yeah. misuse. Yes, the misuse. The abuse. Not so, God, but no. the use of evil wrapped in religion. So now it tells us that Satan would become a force in the world because he, he wanted to become seen as, as God. So well, you, we, you've we, got, we, you've we got the, the abuse yes. of the Roman Catholic Church. I was reading a long article yesterday about the report that's been written about the Baptist Church. None of us are immune no. from evil wrapping itself in the garments of faith. This is why I think the discussions that we're having, so we can look into some of this metaphorical language, some of this symbolic language, and try to get to the true principles that we all stand up on. And we, as, as we have said, if we would live what our religion claim, and I have to say, in viewing the religion, we have the same values. You know, we have differences, but we have the same values. Mm-hmm. And what has been so wonderful about the feedback that I have received from many of our members is that, yes, and, and, and the members that I have met from your congregations, is that people could discuss differences and be angry and mad with each other. But when you see people bond together or come together and look at commonalities and let those commonalities pull them over the differences and see a demonstration of what we had the other night and the times that we have met to see people after the discussion still holding on to their principles, mm-hmm. but sharing, 
showing kindness, showing goodness, and showing love. That's what we're going to have to continue on. Puts the devil in retreat. Hey. Not, not any room in that, if, in that if, space. If there's a jihad, I heard, again, Imam W.D. Muhammad said, it should be all the righteous against Satan. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful yeah. if good good people were as vociferous and yeah. as strong and as loud yes. as those people who are on the other side, who are in the minority? We, yes. people yes. who want goodness to infest the world and bring about the best in everybody, are the majority. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, y'all probably have heard that Martin Luther King. Why should we love our enemies? Because hatred can't drive out hatred. Only love can. Darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can. So it, it is only good, it is only love that drives out the dark, the hate, the Satan, the tempter. Yes. Are we done? For today. <laughs> okay. Thank you for joining us at Abraham's Table. This podcast is a labor of love produced by us. Omar Shaheed, Imam of Masjid As-Salam. As-Salam alaykum. God's peace be on all of us. Rabbi Jonathan Case from Beshalom Synagogue. Shalom Aleichem. That same peace be on us all. And Ellen Fowler-Skidmore, Forest Lake Presbyterian Church. Peace be upon you. We are grateful for Kyle Lovett sharing his musical gift through the Peace Shofar Worship that's available on Spotify. And I'll remind you again that we would love to hear from you. You may comment, question us, give us ideas, topics for discussion. Tell us what this podcast means to you, and you can communicate with us using the email abrahamstablesc at gmail.com. Abrahams tablesc at gmail.com from Columbia, South Carolina. We wish you God's peace. Mm-hmm.